0: Hello, welcome to the audio for book one of Exploring Philosophy, which is all about the self. First of all, we're going to hear about a philosophical device called a thought experiment. I'm with Nigel Warburton, who's the author of book one, and with Julian Bugini, who's editor of The Philosopher's Magazine. Nigel, to start with then, could you give me an example of a thought experiment?
1: Well, I want you to imagine that you're witnessing a trolley, that's just like a railway carriage that's unmanned, rolling out of control towards a set of points where the track divides. As it stands, this trolley's going to hit five people and kill them. They can't get out of the way in time. But luckily, you're standing next to the the switch point, so you could change it and, and make the trolley move onto another track where it will just kill one person. What do you do?
0: I suppose I would kill one person.
1: Like most people, that, I think it might be quite tough to make that decision, but you haven't got long to think about it, so you do that. OK, now imagine this situation. Same kind of situation, there's a trolley out of control. You're on a bridge this time, it's hurtling towards these five people, and next to you is a very large, very fat person who you could push over the bridge, and he's actually large enough to stop the, tro- the trolley. Would you be happy to push that person over the bridge to save the five people?
0: I don't think I would be. That feels like a more active choice to destroy the life of the big person who could stop the trolley than simply switching the points.
1: Yes, that's exactly what most people would say.
0: Julian, you've written a book about thought experiments, the pig that wants to be eaten. Could you explain then what's going on here? What is being tested
2: well, I think it's very helpful to begin by trying to think about what a standard experiment is like. Let's say you're trying to discover uh, you know, how air pressure makes a difference to the boiling point of a liquid. Well, in a scientific experiment, what you try and do is you try and identify the thing that you're trying to measure, and then you try and separate out all the other factors. So it's what scientists call trying to isolate the variables. Now, in a thought experiment, in a way you're trying to do the same thing. Obviously, they're not the kind of things that can be tested. You can't actually go and put people in front of runaway trolleys and get them to flick switches and so forth. So you have to do it all in your imagination. But within those constraints, you do try and control as much as possible. So if we go back to the first version of the trolley problem, which Nigel described, really what that is trying to do is it's trying to see what difference it makes whether or not deaths occur because you fail to do something or because you choose to do something. And whether that makes an important difference, because although Nigel said a lot of people, most people, do actually say they'd flick the switch, a significant number of people wouldn't want to do that. They think even flicking the switch means that I'm causing a death, whereas, okay, more people die if I let it go, but I'm not causing it. So you then ask, well, okay, you've brought out that difference, and you then try and explore whether there's anything really underlying it. In the second case, though, with a a fat man, what you're trying to do is you're trying to see what kind of difference it makes when you have a a more physical, visceral proximity to the event. You're trying to see how much emotion gets in the way here.
0: So to turn to my question, what are we testing here with these experiments?
2: In terms of what you're testing, a lot of people would say all you're testing is intuition, now, by intuition, we don't mean anything mystical, supernatural, you know, kind of like mind reading. What we really mean is our pre reflective judgments, the kind of judgments we make about a situation before we've perhaps thought through rationally and so forth.
1: Would you say they're the same as prejudices?
2: Well, I think what's interesting is that you're having brought them out, you then try and see whether they are just prejudices, and then you're saying, nah, we've got them out in the open now with this experiment. Let's have a look at them and see if they really do have any moral significance. Well, in this case, it's moral significance. In other thought experiments, it might be another kind of significance.
0: What else might you want to test? I know your book is busting with them. You've got 100 or more examples. Tell me some more.
2: Well, one very interesting one, which is about the logic of identity, is a puzzle around what's called the ship of Theseus, and this comes from Thomas Hobbes. So see what we make of this one. The idea here is that a ship is put into dry dock for repairs, now, what happens is that uh, they remove parts from the ship and replace them with new ones. And they put all the old parts to one side. Now, actually, as they keep repairing the ship, they keep finding new things that need replacing. So by the end of it, they've actually replaced every single part of this ship. No bit is the same. And it, it's done, goes back into the sea. The guy who's been collecting all the old parts decides, well, this this don't waste them all puts them back together again, and creates another ship. Now, the question here is, which of those ships is the ship of Theseus, the the person whose ship it was in the first place?
0: I think it's the one made of the old parts.
2: Okay, Uh, And why do you think that?
0: I suppose because I think the old parts are more authentic than the new parts.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting answer. I mean, if you ask which is the original ship, a natural answer is it depends. You know, it depends why you're interested in the ship from a legal point of view it's the repaired one i guess from the point of view of someone who's interested in finding forensic evidence for a murder that occurred on the ship it's the old one so you could say the thought experiment at least invites a suggestion that there's no simple fact of the matter here it's not that you know one answer is always right and one answer is always wrong you've always got to ask what is at stake Uh, what kind of identity are you trying to, to find? And, and this actually has a very important correlate for ourselves, because as we know, the human body is changing the molecules that make it up all the time. We can have transplants. So it's not just a purely theoretical question about ships. It actually relates very closely to questions about personal identity.
0: Is there a right or a wrong answer when you're asked to do the thought experiment? In most other disciplines, there would be a right or a wrong answer or a clever or a less clever answer, an obvious or a less obvious answer. I find myself quite disappointed when I give my answer and I see Nigel's nodding away. I feel I've given the most obvious, the least clever answer.
2: There may ultimately be a right answer. I mean, it's not the case that in philosophy there's never any such thing as a right answer. But you're right, you're looking for a well-argued answer, for sure. And you're you're looking for an answer which is better justified than alternatives and so forth.
0: Give me another example.
2: Well, another example, which I think is quite a neat one, was put forward by Anthony Flew a long time ago. He asks you to imagine that you have a friend who is convinced there's a bit of land, it's in the middle of the jungle somewhere you come across it, and he's convinced it's being tended to by a gardener because it just seems so well-ordered, everything's growing so well. And so what you do is you're not so sure, so you agree. You're going to sit and you're going to observe this clearing for, say, a week so you both sit there for a week and after the end of the week you haven't seen any sign of a gardener at all so you turn around to your friend and you say well there you go it seems to be pretty conclusive there is no gardener in reply your friend says well i think there still is a gardener i mean there must be it's so neat and tidy and well organized it just must be an invisible gardener okay now What Flew is trying to suggest there is that's the kind of thinking uh, that informs a lot of religion, that, you know, there's no evidence that a particular god exists, but people are so convinced by the orderliness of the world in some way that they just insist there's a gardener there, even though one can never be observed. Now, again, I don't think the thought experiment proves anything by itself but it's a good way of kind of issuing a challenge to the religious believer to the theist which is if in this case the person who insists on the invisible gardener is clearly being irrational which most people would say he was why is it different in the case of god okay
0: julian you have written the book about it i have a thought experiment for you imagine philosophy without the thought experiment what would we be be missing what would be the great, the great milestones of philosophy that we would be missing without the thought experiment?
2: It's hard to imagine the history of philosophy with all its thought experiments taken out. If you take virtually any great work of philosophy, there's a thought experiment in there somewhere, uh, of some kind. Plato's cave, you have Descartes and his evil demon, uh, John Locke and his his talking parrots, uh, David Hume and and his the person who's never seen ice. It's full of them. You couldn't do it. But there's one way in which It might be slightly beneficial, which is that there is an argument that we're a bit too enamoured of thought experiments in philosophy and that there's no point in bringing out a thought experiment when there's actually a real life case which can make the issues even clearer. And to give a simple example, we might engage in fanciful thought experiments about the importance of memory for identity and sense of self. But, you know, we have people who have accidents, suffer from dementia, and lose their memory. And perhaps we're better off actually looking at those real-life cases than the thought experiments.
0: Is there a particular thought experiment that has really changed the way you think?
2: Oh, I had a revelatory one, you know. I mean, I remember when I was an undergraduate, I came across Derek Parfit's famous teletransporter thought experiment. Tell me about that. Well, this is simply the idea that you have a teletransporter which will take you to Mars. But the important thing is it explains how it works. It works by destroying your brain and body on Earth, transferring the information to Mars and reconstructing one out of completely new matter. And it seems that the person who wakes up on Mars would have be exactly like you, would think he was you. And he describes it in such a way that, you know, you have someone who has done this on many occasions. And so, you know doesn't see any problem with it and i thought that was that was so wonderful it get there were complications and variations of it that follow for example when the machine goes wrong and produces two of you but this really opened up a whole area of thinking about personal identity which has fascinated me ever since and i'm still thinking and writing about it
0: it's the, it's the one that you
1: for me actually it's the experience machine the the idea that you could be um put into a machine that satisfies all your desires gives you the illusion that you are doing all the things you really want to do and doing them fantastically well so um you could you could be a brilliant musician and have all the adulation of the of the crowd and so on and the point is once you're in the machine for 10 minutes you don't know you're in a machine would you get into the machine and most people say "Mm, for maybe for a few hours but if i never got out of it i wouldn't do it which to me reveals very clearly that there are things that we want, which are much more than just the fulfillment of desires, more than just having the blissful mental states as it were. We want to be in touch with reality as it is, not a simulation of reality.
2: From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward/use.